This episode of the Planet Microcap podcast is brought to you by Friedman LLP, a top 40 global accounting, tax, and business consulting and advisory firm, providing a full spectrum of services for public and private companies since 1924. Contact Friedman when you will need to raise capital and adhere to U.S. standards. The Friedman partners will work diligently with you to provide the financial assurance, regulatory, and transactional services you need. When the stakes are highest, Friedman makes sure you are well equipped. For more information and to get a Friedman free consultation, please call 856-830-1660 or email Neil Levine at N-L-E-V-I-N-E at FriedmanLLP.com. Again, for more information and a free consultation, call 856-830-1660 or email Neil Levine at N-L-E-V-I-N-E at FriedmanLLP.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for your support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. You're listening to episode 167. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the Microcap message. Save the date. We're right there. It's I'd say a little over two weeks away. Uh, the Planet Microcap Showcase Virtual is coming up April 20 through 22nd, 2021. Website's live. We got initial presenting companies, sponsors, speakers. We're going to be posting the full agenda very, very shortly, as well as opening up one-on-one. So please, uh, when you get a chance, if you are at all interested in participating, I invite you to go to our website, which is www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. And if you'd like to register to get all the updates, it is now open. So click the register button once you are there. I'm really excited about our event and all the amazing content that's going to be coming out of it. So be sure to uh, go in and register. So that's planetmicrocapshowcase.com, April 20 through 22nd, 2021. Go register. I'll see you all there. This week from the SNN Podcast Network, we have new episodes of In the Market Trenches with Gary Reeby and Eric Fury, as well as the Investors Roundtable coming at you. You can check out all new episodes on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or Podbean, or wherever you stream podcasts. And you can also catch the video versions on the SNN Network YouTube channel, which is at youtube.com slash SNNWire. Now, for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Ted Seides. He's the author of the new book titled Capital Allocators, How the World's Elite Money Managers Lead and Invest, and host of the very popular podcast, 
capital allocators with Ted Sides. I've been a fan of Ted's show for a long time and was so grateful for the opportunity to learn a bit more about his background and new book, which is now available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. So thank you again for tuning in to episode 167 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Ted Sides. back everybody to the planet microcap podcast i'm your host robert Kraft. you can follow me on twitter at bobby k Kraft. that's b-o-b-b-y-k-k-r-a-f-t and i have a pretty awesome guest we've been on a roll lately with with just doing with having other podcasters on so this is right in line with that but further to that we, he's also now a published well this is technically a second book but he's got his latest book out now it's called capital allocators how the world's elite money managers lead and invest he is the host of the capital allocators podcast joining me right now is Ted Sides. Ted, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Thank you, sir. Great to be here with you. It's, it's great to have you. Where, where am I talking to you from, by the way? Bit- well, I'm on vacation in Sun Valley, Idaho. All right. It's, I, I was telling, I was showing with you offline. I'm like, Toby got the, he got the pool table and yep. the bookcase. I, okay. But I got Sun Valley. This is cool. Yeah, this is home away from home. It's good. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Well, you know, I, Every, everyone who's probably listening to this has listened to it probably at least one episode of yours on the Capital Allocators podcast. But, you know, for those who don't know the Ted Seide story or the podcast, you know, I'd love to start off with where your passion for investing began. And yeah, we'll, we'll go from there. So uh, where, did, where did this all start for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess I go all the way back when I was a kid. I wasn't an investor picking stocks as a kid, but my father, who's a doctor, used to watch CNN FN, which was the predecessor of CNBC, it just had the little ticker stream. And he, so I was always curious about stocks. I didn't really know what they were. Um, took a couple of classes in college, and one of them, I was at Yale, and David Swenson, who manages Yale's endowment, taught a big survey class on portfolio theory, I think it was called. And he mentioned that they hired one person a year. So, you know, I did a bunch of interviews on Wall Street and did that alongside and got offered and decided to go. And, and I worked for David at the Yale Endowment for five years. And that was where I learned about investing is everything I came to learn, I, I learned from him. Um, so that was where I got started, the Yale Endowment. Got it. And what were some of those huge lessons that you learned during that time? You know, how did that set you on your path to where you're at today? Yeah. Well, David had a, created really a particular style of investing, uh, and that was through managers. So call it a, a fund of funds, a manager of managers approach. And then he wrote what became a very famous book, Pioneering Portfolio Management in 2000. And that was for a particular pool of capital. This is a, a university endowment with a perpetual time horizon. How do you think about investing that money? And so it was a multi-asset class structure, investing in managers. And what I learned were both the kind of thought process of investing. So I did the CFA my first three years out of college and learned all the basics that way. Um, And then also this particular style of how do you build the portfolio? How do you find research and select managers and, and monitor managers? And so it was a lot more at the manager level than the security level, though over time, you do learn both and you kind of have to learn both. So that was my formative education in investing. I stayed for five years, uh, you know, went to business school from there, did some direct investing, and then went back into the manager side for a long time. 
Very good. Well, you know, it's funny. We haven't really had anybody on the show, if I can remember correctly. I, I apologize if the person who's listening to this that I did interview, we talked about fund of funds, but so I apologize now. But, you know, we ha- I don't think we've really dug into that kind of style of investing because it's almost, I mean, tell, tell us a little bit more about that. You know, what are some of the ins and outs of that and what, how do you become good at it? <laughs> I'm sure yeah. everybody wants to know that, right? <laughs> I mean, I think some of the fundamental principles are the same. The type of work you're doing, the type of research is different. So I think maybe you could compare it best to picking stocks where you're focused on the management team. And so there's a lot more in company analysis that you could think through of Porter's Five Forces and all, all that kind of thing in a company. But if you're really a key part of your style is betting on the management team, that part's very similar. So you're really thinking about what makes for a great money manager. And then you go through the whole process of where do you find them? How do you do your homework? Is it quantitative? Is it qualitative? How do you do you know, confirmatory due diligence? And then you have to make decisions and, and then manage a portfolio around it. And so um, it is its own little niche of investing. And I think if there's one component to it that's quite different, it's this idea of do you want to compete with the best or do you want to partner with the best? And so if you're sitting at Yale and most of these large pools of capital, they actually have small investment teams. And so if you have a lot of money and you're trying to do, you're trying to invest as well as you can, there's, there's two different ways you could think about it. One is you pick a niche and you try to become the best in that niche. The other is to say, well, we, you know, we want broad diversification. We want access to lots of different things. We will not be able to develop the expertise to do that across the world, across strategies, across asset classes. So let's develop the expertise to figure out how to source and, and find the best people in each of those different areas and partner with them. And so it's in some ways, it's this sort of more humble style of investing because you're admitting right up front that you're not going to be the best at anything. And so you're going to go try to find the people who are the best. I feel like that's that's a perfect segue for why we probably both started our podcast is just wanting to interview the best and, and bring on the best so that we can hopefully learn a lot more than we might already know. So, you know, let's go with that segue. I, I, what, what then led to the founding of Capital Allocators LLC and of course the podcast? Yeah. Well, I've been an investor for 20 years. I worked at Yale for five, a direct investor for a couple of years after business school. And then I was the co-CIO of a hedge fund of funds for 14 years called Protege Partners. And I stepped away in 2015 and wasn't sure exactly what I would do next. I ended up doing a, a couple of projects with some institutional investors and some family offices, not quite finding exactly the right thing. And along the way, I had extra time on my hands and I had been on a couple of podcasts from the first book I had written and decided to just run around and talk to some of my old friends. And starting with the endowment foundation world, I was curious what they had been up to in the 15 years that I hadn't been involved in that particular activity. And so that started the podcast. I didn't start it with any particular agenda. uh, And I was alongside of a bunch of other investing that I was doing. And it just kept going to the point where about a year ago, it got sufficient traction that I you know, woke up one day and saw this actually is the core of what I'm doing and everything else, the investing is still happening, but it's happening around it. Wow. I mean, so what was what would you say was that turning point of, of maybe it was that one interview or something where you're like, all right, this is it, doing this, it's done. Like, what, what was that? 
it was, there wasn't a turning point. I think it was slow evolution and kind of compounding. Uh, if I go back about a year and a half, there was a point in time where I was, was working with a friend of mine, developing a family office for him and his partner, and they were selling a business. They had announced the sale was a couple hundred million dollar sale to a public company. And a few months after that, the deal broke. So I was planning to have that as my primary occupation while I was doing the podcast as part of the whole investment process, but then the capital wasn't going to be there. And so if there was a catalyst for me saying, okay, let me turn and focus on the podcast and the things in that ecosystem, it was that the other activities I was doing fell away. So it wasn't really anything within the podcast. It was more exogenous that led me to say, okay, this is what I'm doing. Let's dive into it and see what happens. Gotcha. All right. So this takes us to the book that you guys that you have coming out. I believe it's next week, right? Yeah, it launches next week. Launch, launches next week. Well, okay. So it releases next week. It's yeah, we're, we're I, just for full disclosure, we're recording this on March 16th. This might, I'm pretty sure it will come out. We'll, we'll have to work yeah, on it. Well, the, the book releases March 23rd. Well, I have to I have to confirm with with my producer myself, and, uh, and we'll, we'll we'll figure out the timing. You know, we'll we'll have a, a little meeting. We'll we'll figure it out. But um, you know, diving into the book, you know, I, I'm going to be self serving now because as a fellow podcast host, you know, this is more to pick your brain on how I should write my podcast book at a certain point. But uh, but in all seriousness, you know, I'd love to hear how this came about and the, the the thesis behind it. Yeah. So I had written a book a couple of years ago uh, that was in and around my experience with startup hedge funds. And at that point in time, that book, if nothing else, was a bucket list item. It was one of the things I always thought I wanted to write a book. And one of the things you learn from doing that is that writing a book does two things for you. It sucks up your time and it sucks up your resources. And that's about it. So once you've done it for the first time, there is literally no reason to write another one. And I would add to that, especially in this day and age when you can write online and get much quicker feedback, much quicker turnaround. So there's a real question of like, why do this in the first place? I do think that writing something like this forces you to distill your thinking in a different way than if you're just writing a blog. But what happened for me was I had been thinking that after a while, I was forgetting the lessons that I had learned from people I had on my show. I just couldn't remember the conversations. And there were just too many of them. And, and that probably happened after 50 conversations. And in particular, there were certain subjects that I thought were incredibly additive to how I had gone about the investment process in the past that I learned a ton from people who had come on the show. And I just wanted to distill those lessons for myself. So the first example of that is, is decision-making and decision-making theory. I've had Andy Duke on my show a number of times. I've had Michael Mobison on and Gary Klein. And from those three people, I realized that in the 20 years I'd been investing, I didn't have a sound decision-making process. Made good decisions, made bad decisions. Understood all the behavioral flaws that you can read about from Danny Kahneman, but didn't know what to do about them. And so I just decided to put that down effectively as a chapter of a book. And it was coinciding when COVID hit. And so all of the travel I had shut down, I knew I had a little bit extra time on my hands. And I just started to think about what, what are the other subject matters that I had learned 
new things about on the podcast that I hadn't been involved with in the past. And that formed what became the first section of the book, which I call Toolkit. And there are really five disciplines that all chief investment officers need to practice effectively, but they're not taught at all in the investment world. Okay. Well, without giving away too much of the book, you know I'm about to ask, what are they? Right. So those, those five disciplines, and there are a lot, but they are interviewing. And so I did thousands of interviews with managers in my career, but I never once thought about how did I just do as an interviewer. And from going and doing a podcast to get better at it, I did research and studied you know, people like Larry King and Cal Fussman and even Tim Ferriss and tried to figure out what are the principles of a good interview. And then how could I apply that to the investment process? Decision-making, I mentioned. The, the third one, which is a fun one for me, which is negotiations. You don't hear about that much in the public markets. You certainly do in the private markets. And I went to business school and I was taught negotiations and I sucked afterwards at every... I just lost every negotiation I ever had. I had one particular guest on my show, Dalian Kane, who's a professor of negotiations at Yale. And it was unbelievable. It was this eye-opening conversation. And he started describing like how he teaches negotiations. It was completely different from how I had learned at a business school. And then management and leadership or leadership and management. So you hear a lot about managing money in our business. You don't hear a lot about managing people. And so there are fundamental principles. This, this isn't novel stuff. You could read about it anywhere. You could read leadership books. I just took what I heard from certain guests that are true leaders and just distilled it into a checklist. So that's like the first section of the book is that toolkit. And I describe it as particularly these chief investment officers of large pools of capital, who I tend to have a lot of on my show, they have to do all of these things. So yes, they're managing money. They often are doing that by picking managers, but they have to lead a team. They have to get stuff done. They often are involved in negotiating with managers or, or even people on their team. They're constantly interviewing and then they have to make decisions. And so all of those things are part of the investment process, but you don't find them in the CFA. You don't find them. I mean, you might find them a little bit in business school, but not really. And they're certainly not taught in the apprenticeship of learning how to manage money. Well, you know, what's interesting is the, the, the toolkit itself, it can work across the board when it comes to, I mean, really anything that it, when it comes to your professional life, these are really important things that you should be thinking about, you know, not just as, you know, investment managers, but also even just as your own individual investor. I mean, these are things you should be asking yourself, you know, how should I interview management? You know, what should, what, how should I think about whether or not I want to invest or not invest or hold or sell at this point? You know, all these different things. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've gotten feedback that this applies across the board. Yeah, I mean, the feedback will be coming. The book isn't out yet. There are, a bunch of, there are a bunch of people who have read it and have said exactly that. They have said, you know, yes, this is an investment book, but um, those that first set of lessons is very broadly applicable. In fact, the best example is my wife, who's not an investor, and read it and said, oh, this is like, really, like, I could share this with all my friends, unlike my first book, which is a little more technical. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, so the, the and in fairness, I, I, haven't read, I haven't read the book yet. I'm looking forward to reading it. But um, it, from what I've seen online is, is, so the next section of the book is talking about various investing frameworks that you also learn from all your various podcasts. Tell us a little bit about what you've learned over the years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where the pod, where my investing career starts and the podcast ends. So it's a little bit tough for me <laughs> to say, oh, I learned some podcasts. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
the, my podcast is about investing and it's this particular style of investing. And so what I, what I did in that section was break down um, the, the, the biggest lesson that I, I took away that I wasn't really privy to was the importance of governance. We can talk about that. And then investment strategy, investment process, and a little bit about technology and technological innovation and crisis management. So the different areas of things that happen and really the, the frame of reference I used um, David Swenson's book remains the seminal tome for this style of investing. And it is a brilliant piece of how to think about constructing a portfolio and why with great data and information about every asset class and how they serve the portfolio. And then a little bit on how, you know, what types of managers make sense. How do you think about alignment of interest? What he doesn't really do in the book is say, okay, now, if you go do it, what do you do? What do you actually do? How do you form your policy statement? What goes into that? Um, how do you find managers? What actual, what do these interviews, what do these manager meetings comprise? What then do you do for due diligence? And that's kind of what I walk through in the book is if you take all these conversations with CIOs, and what I did in my career, what is this role of people who are investing in managers and how do they go about doing it, number one? And then number two, how has that evolved in thinking since Dave Swenson wrote his book you know, 20 years ago? Gotcha. What, what would you say, I don't know if you talk about this in the book, but what would you say is an, an interview or interviews that had the most impact on you both personally and, and professionally? I know I have my few that I'm always like, Man, I always, I just, I'll go back and listen to it just, just to kind of be like, ah, that was, that was just so fun. So what, did you have any for you? Yeah, there are a lot. I mean, I've done 200. So, it, you know, there are very few that I didn't take something out of. I do think the ones where I learn the most are the ones that come outside of the investment field. So I mentioned decision-making. There've been a couple on leadership. You know, I, I did one at the beginning of this year with James Clear, who's just amazing in habit formation. And so the lens I use, I'm, I don't go too far afield, but what I try to do is find guests where I think what they have to say will be additive to the person in the role of a chief investment officer. And so those are definitely some of the conversations that have resonated the most for me in terms of additional learning. Within the sort of within the box for me. There have been a few that I really um, enjoyed in part because it was exactly what I had envisioned when I started. So the, the first of those was an interview I did a couple of years ago with Scott Malpass, who recently retired, just a longtime CIO at Notre Dame University. And I've known Scott for a long time. I knew him from back when I worked at Yale. And it was just like talking to a friend I hadn't seen in 20 years about what did you do all along the way? How have you evolved this office? How are you thinking about investing? You know, how do you think about international investing? How do you organize your team? Everything you could imagine. And we just, it was probably an hour and a half and we just walked through all that. It. it was so rich with information. So that's one that's always stood out because it was the first of those that I went, aha, like that was it. Very cool. Yeah, no, I, I went on to prepare for, for this interview today. You know, I went on your website real quick and I saw some of the most popular ones 
you know, that, that I, I guess that that's dynamic, but the ones that you had right now are the ones with, with Michael Schwimmer and, yeah. and Dan Early and Michael, Ma- Michael and Chamath. And, and of course, Patrick, O'Shea. I've been trying to get Patrick on, I think since 2015, because he wrote the, that book, uh, millennial investing. And so right. I love that at some point, but I mean, it, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting when you go and look back and you see your full catalog and you're just like, wow. Especially when you think about, you know, having Patrick on back in 2017, you know, and see how his career's progressed. Having Chamath on, and that wasn't too long ago, but but still yeah. like seeing what how he's exploded uh, on social media. I mean, of course, Michael and all, all these other folks, you know, so how, how do you think about that sometimes when you go back and you're saying like, wow, I had them on then and to, and to think where they are now. Yeah, uh, it's a great, I mean, I do think I've started to see, and I hope this continues, that my show feels like it's the inverse of the Sports Illustrated jinx. So <laughs> I, I've had, <laughs> yeah, I've had a few people on the show who, who, uh, like you know, the, Don, Mad, the Madden jinx, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, Donna Snyder, who was, who was a, a, a top, uh, deputy at the Kresge Foundation and now just took over as chief investment officer at Hackensack Meridian Hospital. Mark Baumgartner, who just moved from a smaller foundation to the Carnegie Corp. Kim Liu, who moved from Carnegie Corp to Columbia University. So I've had a bunch of people on the show like rise to big seats. I will say that the at the end of the book, for reference more than anything else, I just listed the guests in the first, I guess it was 150 episodes. And it's, first of all, it's a couple pages long, single, you know, single spaced. And, and as I'm going through it, it is amazing because I do know all these people. I remember every conversation. And after a while, you're like, wow, this is a lot of people and a lot of conversations. And so, yeah, it's, it's a gratifying thing to have done it. And the funny part for me is that it's, it's very similar to the rest of my career. It's just in public. So I used to have manager interviews a couple times a day, maybe not as many with CIOs. And so it's it, when I first started, I was like, this is only one a week. This is barely working for me. Um, <laughs> but there is something fun about it's a different tenor to the conversation because it's in public and it's not a, as much of a two-way conversation, really. Somebody's just telling their story. And I, I really enjoy that. I was just going to ask, you know, how did your interview style change when you went from those private conversations to now you're, you know, you're sharing them publicly? It's just, it, you pretty much asked that. But like, yeah, I mean, if there's the biggest difference, I think I got a lot better at listening. Mm-hmm. From fairly early on, after listening to my first couple episodes, I just immediately decided that I was talking too much. And so I got much better at just sitting back and letting people tell their story and then trusting that the next good question will just show up. Do, would you say, do you feel like you've become a, a better assessor of CIOs since starting the podcast? Do, do you think, do you think you're being able to tell like, oh, they're, you know, or maybe not, maybe not that someone's good or not, because pretty much everybody you had on is, is are probably very talented and good, you know, but maybe, maybe I'll reframe it. Have you become a better assessor of a CIO that you'd want to work with or invest in as a result of, of starting the podcast? I don't know. I, I think if there's something that's meaningfully different is that these podcast conversations are not evaluative. Whereas all the years I was talking to money managers, every conversation was evaluative. Mm-hmm. I'd walk away and saying, I think I want to spend more time. You know, I think that's something I'm not interested in. Most of these conversations, I don't have to render judgment at all. 
So earlier on, I think I instinctively did. And I would say, oh, you know, that wasn't so good. Or wow, that, you know, that person's great. I'd love to work with them. Uh, as you're saying, it, I started thinking back and I'm like, I just don't think I even consider it that much anymore. I'm much more focused on, was that a good conversation for the audience than, oh, like, do I think they're better or worse than other people? Good to know. Good to know. All right. Well, uh, final takeaway for the book, you know, what, what would you say then is the main message that you hope people will get from, from reading Capital Allocators? Like, I, I hope and believe this book will help people make more money, period. Um, there's, it's not direct. It's yeah. not like, here's my stock tip. So go buy it and make more money. But everybody that you talk to believes that investing is about process over outcome. And there are so many little nuggets that come from the guests that I've put in the book that can help people enhance their process. And I even have people that have been on the show tell me, oh, like, you know, I heard that episode again. And every time I listen to you talking to Annie Duke, I come up with another thing to add to my process. And I've certainly had of the, of the people that have read the book have said, wow, there's just so much in there that I'm going to be able to add to what I'm doing. So that's, that's what I hope. I hope, I hope people will read it and, you know, certainly it doesn't cost a lot. Uh, so there's not a lot of opportunity costs <laughs> other than time. Um, but I, I think it'll help people really meaningfully with their investment process. Absolutely. By the way, just on a side note with Annie Duke, can we be so thankful that she does a ton of interviews and is always willing to just be so open with her insights? I mean, I, I had her on too, and it's just- Yeah, I, she's great. I, oh my gosh. Like just so, so, I was super intimidated by the way, doing that, going in. I was like, I don't even know what that I'm going to say or ask. Like I just, but hopefully we'll, hopefully I'll just ask one question and we'll go from there. And it, I'm also a poker fanboy, So I was kind of like, I don't know if I should just ask like poker questions right now. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't know if you had that same experience with her, but definitely like, there's a few people, right? Like you go and you're like, I'm a little intimidated right now hopefully we'll get something out of this that everybody can enjoy or yeah. just an opportunity for me to look a little silly and that that's fine. I can take that. <laughs> but, um, you, you know, so uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about this. I know you talked to Toby about this a little bit at the outset of the interview that you guys did together, but the bet with Buffett have yep. to ask, you know, for those who don't know the background of the story here, you know, can you give a uh, little insight as to how this all came about? And then, you know, of course, who won as, as well? <laughs> uh, sure. So starting, I, I made a charitable bet with Warren Buffett. Um, we made the bet in 2007. The bet started January 1 of 2008. It was a 10-year bet that effectively pitted the market against a portfolio of hedge funds. In practice, it was the S&P 500 uh, Vanguard Index Fund and a portfolio of five hedge fund of funds. Um, and well, there's a lot of you know rationale, but going in, why I wanted to make the bet, why how it came about. Ultimately, the Fed came in in 09, the market ripped, and uh, and Buffett won the bet by a lot. Very, very. How did it come about? I, I think I remember you saying. So you wrote him a letter innocuously, yeah. and yeah. then he just happened to respond. I wrote him a one-page letter. He responded. We went back and forth a number of times. Um, went from snail mail to email really PDFs on email. He doesn't have an email address. Um, and, uh, and then we just agreed to do it. Yeah. And then there was, so he buys companies on a single sheet of paper and we had this charitable bet. And because it's actually hard to make a bet for charity, uh, it was like a 30 page legal contract. 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> By the way, I, I mean, if there's any pod he should go on to discuss, I mean, I, I'm sure that's been in the works for a while, but I don't, th- I don't know if he's, I don't think he's ever done a podcast. On it. He's not going to do it. I've talked to him. I've asked him a couple of times. He's not going to do it. Not going to do it. Uh, not yeah. even for like five minutes. Just be like, dude, just give him a nah. sign. No, actually, no, he would respond to you like, if you called him, dude. I'm sure he would respond. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that would that would make that. Maybe I'll try it again. That'll that, 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 that'll. I think that'll do it. I think that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, now we're at the question that I love to ask everybody that I have come on here. You know, what would you say is an investing experience or any kind of experience that that impacted you the most in your career? Yeah. Um, boy, there there are a few. So let me do one specific to an investment and one an experience. So the experience I had working with David Swenson was by far the most impactful in my career. Um, And part of it is he is one of the greatest investors in the world and he's an educator. So he's able to to teach that to the people who work with him. Um, And he just has this incredible ability to show up every day with a perpetual time horizon. And I don't think there was a phrase that we uttered more in that office than don't be so short term. It would just come up all the time. And that would happen if we were talking about something three years out. So it was a totally different um, frame of reference. And then he also just has an incredible process and extreme discipline. And you learn that I was able to learn good lessons before I learned bad lessons. So that generally that was one. In terms of a specific investment, um, we were the largest first day investors in John Paulson's subprime mortgage short fund. And it's hard to, there are so many lessons that come from that. You know, as a setup at the beginning, it was actually a really easy thing. As you evolve through something that is like, a, call it an asymmetric hedge, and it's marked to market, and you start having to think about how do you take it off? What do you do? What does this mean? All the iterations of, of dealing with a successful hedge are, are really sort of interesting and impactful. And the other was this, there's always people calling for the sky is falling. Let's just call them chicken littles. There's a ton right now. Jeremy Grantham's talking about value. Jeff Gunlatch is talking about you know, high-yield bonds. Even Mark Cuban was, was questioning the, the price of Bitcoin, even though he's sort of positive on the, the blockchain ecosystem. So that's always happening. Um, having lived through one of those and gotten it right, I started paying more attention to those kinds of people. You're always looking for the next one, the next sort of important inflection point you don't want to miss. And what you find is that there are many, many more people calling for something negative to happen than actually ever happens. And so with hindsight, you can look back and say, oh yeah, Jeremy Grantham was right in 2000 and 2002, which is absolutely true. And Jeremy's a brilliant guy and he might be right now. But I could also tell you, he was one of my first manager meetings in 1992 and he was bearish then. And he was wrong for a long time. And so being right from 2000 to 2002 might have cost you more money if you had started back in 1992. There's an opportunity cost of being too early. And then you have these, these people that when it happens, and it will, like value will come back at some point, you know, high yield will spike at some point. Some person at that point in time will say, I told you so. And they will be right that they did tell you, but they won't tell you 
oh, what was my probability assessment of that happening? How early was I? What was my opportunity cost before I made this windfall? And how many other people were saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you before it happens. And so I, I learned to pay attention and listen, but to really discount situations where people have some extreme view because almost all the time the market doesn't play out that way. That's incredible insight. That's actually something that I'm going to take away, especially from this conversation, because I remember going to uh, many, you know, just uh, mining only shows. And if you want to go to like Nego Town, you know, positive people, don't get me wrong, but you want to go to Nego Town, go to a gold show. They'll tell you, they'll tell you the sky is falling and the Fed's going to blow up and, uh, you know, that dollar you have won't be worth anything, you know, but, but I mean, some are right, some are wrong when it, but it, especially when it came to the you know uh, spot forecast, of course. But um, yeah, no, that that's that's really interesting to take away. Is think about you know that opportunity cost and probabilities on that. So my last question before I let you go, you know, what what advice do you have for new investors looking at the stock market right now? Mm. Learn as much as you can on someone else's dime. <laughs> so I think a lot. There's a lot of people who think you know in the markets. I'm just going to learn all these lessons and you know I'm going to get better that way I'm going to compound all my knowledge but there are so many people who have learned great lessons ahead of you that it always makes sense to try to get mentored by someone who's learned a lot of those lessons ahead of time and learn as much as you can until you feel like you know so much that you're ready to be on your own because everyone's dream in this business is to be on their own what they miss is it's incredibly difficult at this stage of the market cycle to start and sustain a new fund. So the, my side of the world, the allocators, they don't really care about new funds. They don't need to, they have their favorites. It's a mature industry. And so if you know that it's hard to, to just start launch on your own and be successful and the probabilities are against anybody being successful, just take your time and learn and you know learn it at other places learn it from successful investors learn different styles then find your own style and go with it don't be in such a rush to kind of like have your own shingle on the door very cool all right well ted thank you so much for joining me today where, where can my audience go and find everything they need to know to listen to your podcast follow you on social media and buy the book well, i appreciate that robert so uh all of my stuff is housed on a website which is historically and probably currently still called capital allocators podcast.com though i do own the capital allocators.com url so one or the other is going to work and they're going to point to each other uh, the podcast is called capital allocators the book is called capital allocators with the subtitle you know how the world's elite uh, money managers lead and invest it's on amazon and everywhere else very good. Some good branding. It's just the same across the board. I, it helps. It helps. Definitely. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> good stuff. Well, Ted, again, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. Have fun. Right. Thank and, you. And, uh, and we'll talk soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast.
This episode of the Planet Microcap podcast is brought to you by Friedman LLP, a top 40 global accounting, tax, and business consulting and advisory firm, providing a full spectrum of services for public and private companies since 1924. Contact Friedman when you will need to raise capital and adhere to U.S. standards. The Friedman partners will work diligently with you to provide the financial assurance, regulatory, and transactional services you need. When the stakes are highest, Friedman makes sure you are well equipped. For more information and to get a Friedman free consultation, please call 856-830-1660 or email Neil Levine at N-L-E-V-I-N-E at FriedmanLLP.com. Again, for more information and a free consultation, call 856-830-1660 or email Neil Levine at N-L-E-V-I-N-E at FriedmanLLP.com.